I want to let you know that in some parts of the interview, you can hear construction going on. The construction sounds can mostly be heard at the beginning of the interview, and they don't last throughout the entire thing. But I did want to give you a heads up in case you were wondering what those banging sounds were in the background. Because of the lockdown happening globally, situations such as this one are common. And given that we're in a historically challenging period, I had to leave the construction sounds in because that's the reality that many of us are living. I really appreciate your understanding. You are listening to the Anybody Can Code podcast. I am your host, Amalia Cardenas. My guest today is Irina Iskrenova. Irina is a former psychologist turned front-end engineer. In this episode, Irina unpacks how she switched careers from psychology to development. The career transition was not a trivial decision for her. In fact, Irina didn't want to leave her career in psychology. She loved the field, and she still does. But after taking some time off after her master's degree to give herself some time to think about what she wanted, she decided to give programming a try. For Irina, the process of learning to code was not only about gaining technical skills, but it was a period of deep introspection and reflection. A period where she had to make peace with the fact that she was not going to become a psychologist and reconcile not seeing her career change as a failure, but instead a positive direction that her life had taken. This episode is full of wisdom and sage advice. You will learn how Irina took the career transition at a very gradual pace, seeing each step as a way to learn irrespective of where the outcome could possibly lead. Today, Irina is in a career that she really enjoys. She works with collaborative and supportive colleagues, and she feels that the transition was completely worth it. Continue listening on to see how Irina arrived at this at this wonderful place in her life. So without further ado, I present to you the wise Irina Iskrenova. Thanks, Amalia, for inviting me. So exciting. Very good. So I wanted to start off with a question that has nothing to do with uh, coding, but we are starting the new year. Um, 2020 just finished. And I wanted to ask you, what has been, as you reflect back, what has been the most important thing that 2020 has taught you? Um, good lesson that I learned personally is that I am stronger than I used to believe about myself. I was I, I was able to do things that I really was thinking I can do under normal circumstances. Um, and leave the year actually feeling, I know it was very stressful and hard year for so many of us. But for me, it was really strong here in a good way. So I'm living it with positive um, thoughts and energy. So why was it, uh, like, what did you, what made you realize that you were stronger? Uh, many changes happened in my personal life. And I was able to... Um, uh, combine them with uh, working and advancing professionally. So um, COVID happened, the lockdown happened. I have 
I had to, at some point, uh, I had to look after my baby while working at home uh, full time. And it was so challenging, um, not only for me, for my co-workers as well that had to listen to him crying quite often and bear with him but um, it was very rewarding uh, the moment that I was able to take a break it was very rewarding to know that I'm together with him and I'm able to see him growing uh, so the stress apart it was also um, it was also very emotional for me, and I was kind of grateful that I had this time with him, even even if it was the hard way. We also moved, uh, so uh, we were in the situation of uh, being locked down in a new place with no furniture, which was fun. <laughs> So, yeah, many things around um, overall COVID and lockdown situation, but also some new personal stuff uh, plus work. So, yeah, so you uh, learned that even under hard circumstances, you can adapt and find ways to keep going, no? Yes, uh, because I'm the kind of person that... Um, stress a lot in advance. I'm very anxious, usually. So the way I was before, only imagining a situation like this, and I was going to think to myself, no, this is, I will freak out. This, this will be impossible. I will be stressed all the time, screaming at home and yelling. And But it wasn't the case. Of course, I was getting a lot of support. Of course, my partner was also taking his uh, part of the responsibilities. I was getting support at work as well, a lot. Um, it's important when other people live the same situation, more or less. So we are really understanding each other and very tolerant. And uh, so I wasn't feeling alone in this. But then it was new to me that I was able to manage all this with not as much stress as I expected, not being so nervous and actually kind of enjoying it at times. Mm. You know, I spoke to uh, Bozena and she was having the same reflection that uh, the lockdown and COVID really helped her live in the present because for the first time you can't plan the future, you know. You don't yes. know what's going to happen. You don't know when things are going to change. So it really forces you to stay present. I believe that it was a period, given that um, you are not immediately threatened from um, uh, from the illness or having uh, very great problems like with people from your family or the perspective of losing your job, like serious problems like this, for other people that were able to keep their work and work remotely and simply um, figuring out how to make it work in the new circumstances, like being home office, um, 
um, being home office with your family because it's not simply working remotely, but you have there is no nursery, no schools, no office for your partner if you live with someone or with, for your roommate. So all those new challenges you had to figure out, and as you said, to uh, focus on the on the present. No, no plans. And mostly having time for yourself and changing perspectives, maybe, or reflecting. So it forced us to, to spend time with ourselves. So in this case, maybe it was positive for people to realize things or just to spend more time in a different way. Yeah, it's really important. And for uh, people listening, part of also adapting, uh, Irina, we have some construction going on. So if you hear some banging, that's part of it. And we'll include it because that's how life goes. Um, we just want to remind the listener that that's how it goes. And we have to keep moving forward and um Listen to it as an endearing thing, hopefully. <laughs> well, the new reality. Yeah, that's the new reality. So one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on the podcast is because you've had quite a unique story of how you came into tech. Uh, but before we get there, let's take it back. You're from Bulgaria and you studied in Greece and then you came to Barcelona. Can you tell us about your studies, about your time in Greece, and then how you ended up in Barcelona? Yes. So I, after finishing high school, I knew that I want to study psychology. Uh, and I also knew that I want to study abroad, uh, which wasn't very easy to happen. I finished the high school with um, a specialty in Spanish language, uh, language and culture and history. So I was able to uh, study in Spain if I wanted to, but actually it, it's not a country uh, that is very easy to, to move as a student and to find scholarship or being able to work, at least not at the time. So things changed after Bulgaria became part of the union, but before that it wasn't easy. So one way to study abroad what I want was to uh, find a scholarship and Greece was a country that provided this for me. But before that, I have to learn the language, right? So I actually had one year of uh, studying modern Greek philology in the Sofia University, applying for the scholarship, and then moving to Greece and changing to psychology because this was actually what I wanted to do. Uh, it was glorious times there. I really love Athens. I love the time that I spent there my student years were really, really great part of my life. I lived there, I think, for six years, almost seven. And then it was up to decide what to do next. Uh, with psychology, if you want to work as a psychotherapist that I wanted, um, it's not enough to have only bachelor degree, even if you're allowed by the law 
to do so, to practice, to have a private practice, I don't think um, you're competent enough and skilled enough and trained enough to to be able to work with people and to help them solve their problems. So uh, I knew that I need to finish a master. Uh, it wasn't possible and easy to do so in Greece, plus I wanted to switch. And after a year and a half back in Bulgaria, I applied for the um, university here in Barcelona and actually moved here to do to do the master in psychology and finish it here. So it was a chance to me to live in this city. I also love Barcelona as a city a lot. I am not sure which I like more Athens or Barcelona. I, I really have so many good um, emotions related to both of them. But yeah, we now decided to stay in Barcelona. So for the last so many years, I'm living here and I'm based here and feels great. So after finishing your studies in psychology, mm -hmm. uh, what made you decide to make a career change? Did you wake up one morning feeling like, I've had enough of psychology, or was it a <laughs> slow process? Yeah, I never, I never have enough of psychology. I, I find everything in this field very interesting to learn, to practice. I, I always was saying, because even when I started, people were telling me, what are you going to work as a psychologist? There are no jobs for it. No jobs, not enough jobs. So it will be hard time for you finding one. And all, my, my response to this is like, there is so much work that needs to be done with psychology. Even if there are no job positions for it, there is work. Mm -hmm. Because wherever you have humans, you would need a psychologist one way or another. Um, so it wasn't this, but it was the fact that after finishing the master, uh, which was quite stressful and exhausting for me, maybe because I was a foreigner, maybe because of uh, how I am and that I still wasn't feeling very prepared to uh, work uh, what I wanted, what I imagined originally, or maybe because I saw that I won't be able to work the way I wanted and the way I imagined it, advanced and proceed the way I want. Um, I decided that first I decided that I need a break. I need like just to be doing nothing for a while, no studying, no working, nothing. Mm -hmm. Give myself time. And I have to say that my partner is a developer, so one discussion after another, we decided that doing this break, maybe it will be interesting for me to start learning to code. And maybe this way, one day I will be able to help him as a, on a side project, like something uh, that it will be 
interesting for me, but also it will be contributing somehow financially that I will be able to maybe work some, on some smaller projects. And this is how I started. So it was one step at a time. So first, because it's interesting. Then because maybe I will be able to do some something small and help him. And then one day I realized that I, yeah, it's such a set. I just realized that I want to make a full uh, career change and become a full-time developer. And so I focused on learning and getting more and more skilled at it. Um, yeah. Was it, uh, did you enjoy it from the very beginning? No. Uh, from the Actually, the process of learning how to code and becoming um, yeah, becoming developer um, was in parallel with another processes that happened around how I perceive myself, how I learn um, things about life, about myself, about um, what I want to do and how I want to do it. So um, it was space for me to, again, change things for me, reflect and grow personally, not simply uh, acquiring some new skills and learning new stuff. So at first, that means that I wasn't enjoying it that much because there were the expectations my mm -hmm. expectations or people's expectations, the fact that I needed to start working and being able to support financially myself, which wasn't... Um, so I was practically jobless for a while, for this mm -hmm. period. And this is something that I wish it was in another way that I was um, able to enjoy it more because... I think it's something that it's worth it. It's mm -hmm. very interesting to learn new things and it makes a difference if you enjoy it or not, really. Uh, but at first it wasn't for me. So I had to learn also how to how to do it in a more positive way and how to be calm about things and not mix up feelings and emotions and disappointments with the process of learning and practicing. Wow. Yeah, it was for like two years that um, from the moment that I decided to uh, focus and fully dedicate my time to uh, becoming a developer until I get my first development job. I think for many people who are making that career transition, I'm so happy that you mentioned this sort of psychological process that needs to change or some internal things that need to change in order for you to enjoy the process of coding. Because I think for a lot of people who are making that career transition, there is kind of a 
grief or a loss that you have to get over you yes. know like i didn't i didn't become a psychologist or i didn't become um a primary school teacher or in my case you know i didn't uh become an academic there is this i've i've had to grieve it too you know and it takes so long i don't know in my case was that the case for you actually grief is a concept that it didn't come to my mind all the time uh-huh. the word i was using is a failure that mm. i failed at being psychologist and even now i feel like very emotional about it as i said it was something that i always wanted to do i still find extremely interesting the field and extremely important the practice of psychology and psychotherapy and um being forced from the circumstances to forced in a way but to make this decision to make this choice it really took me time to to think of it in a positive way and not feel not feel as a failure and this was mostly the work the psychological work that i needed to do for myself so uh what changed in you for you to be able to see it in that positive way um i believe that um the way i'm working now uh with so many unexpected benefits and realizing that I'm too limited by my expectations. I have those expectations. I built my mental image of the world and how it how reality will work and then I get disappointed or I get positively surprised by something that I didn't expect actually. I just go and adjust and teach myself to have less expectations. Mm. And in this way I think I have less stress as well. Mm-hmm. and then i'm able to see in a more clear way what is what in reality and this way appreciate it and this is very long process so um it depends also on external factors like i'm super super grateful that i'm able that not only i find a job as a developer something that was also stressing me because you transition and you compete with people that have um computer science degrees that have experience that have boot camp at least i didn't have all this so i'm grateful not only that i was actually able to find a job but for the environment that i'm working in and the teammates i'm working with uh that it's um something that i didn't expect actually to be honest that it will be so i will feel so happy to work um uh, with nice with nice people and people who support you and this to be honest is something that wasn't exactly the case uh, i have some little experience working with um mental health professionals in a team mm-hmm. 
and maybe because of the stress of the nature of the work, uh, maybe because of restrictions. Uh, uh, I don't know. I mean, restrictions like in the public health sphere and so on. But it felt really more stressful for everyone, for me as a student, as a new colleague at least. Uh, more stressful and more competitive even mm. than the way I work now is really more with the values that are related to teamwork and collaboration and growing and learning. So it's a, like basically it's exactly the opposite from what I expected, right? Yeah. So this is why I'm saying that I have wrong expectations. I build images in my mind and then act according to those images, but they are wrong. And then mm. I get disappointed. So this this was something new. So being able to enjoy my new my new profession and work with nice people and never stop learning. Uh, help me, help me with this. So looking back now, because you've been a developer now for three three years, Amalia, I have my work anniversary today. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness! Congratulations. <laughs> Thank three you. Years. Three years. Unbelievable. Uh, are you glad? You know, having looking back three years now, are you glad? now of the career transition or is there still a part of you that feels regret or no I now that you mentioned maybe I felt I was feeling this grief as well not only the feeling of failing uh, but I was saying to myself I will I will find a way to connect my new profession to psychology I will find a way I don't know when it will happen but there will be something, a project or something that uh, it will be, it will include both. So keep repeating this thing to, to myself. Um, I, I didn't, I was able not to feel re regret about it. And I'm very, very happy with the decision. It wasn't a trivial decision for me, really. Um, Usually I plan things, they don't happen to me. But I'm very happy because the outcome is better than anything I would have planned, to be honest. So looking back, I'm, I think I did well. And also just looking back at how much your life has changed from you know those days where um, you were looking for a job, you were you weren't seeing like, how is this situation going to change? Because I know there's a lot of people even starting up the year right now that are in that situation where they're jobless or they don't see any hope of how that's going to change. Yes. Um, what advice would you have for them? Having now, you know, uh, changed your life around so much. I don't know, Amalia. I mean, I don't know what advice. Would, I don't think it's the same situation. It's a bit different. What we are living now, it's different because it's on such a massive scale. Mm. This 
partially can mean something can can have its positive side because you're not alone and when there are so many people that need to make changes in their life in order to uh, continue and being able to support their families at least it means that more people will focus and think of a ways to how how we all fix this right mm-hmm. and I hope it happens in my case I was um all alone you know before i met you before i met people from cold bar i didn't have any other example of a person that this this now i know that there are so many people who, who do this who transition or simply add to their skill set learning new technology learning to program even still being psychologists or designers or whatever, they adapt to their skills. Uh, so I'm not sure I'm exactly in the position of giving advices. What I want to happen for all these people is to for them to find support, maybe from people like us, um, and to find the strength of feeling brave enough to to make changes because actually the situation is forcing us to make changes so mm-hmm. one way or another we have to do those to make changes and to try try something new and see how it goes and make small steps but advance and decide after each step so assessing how it goes and going on for the next step, iterating, something like this. Um, For many companies now, it's obvious that a good part of the work can be done remotely, Mm -hmm. can be be done from home. I think it's an important change in mentalities for companies that they not necessarily need someone to be present in an office somewhere, which which allows for more flexibility from one from, from both sides actually, both for the company and uh, for the person, right? Because you're able to to live whatever you want and connect and do your work, disconnect, and that's it. Same for the companies that will be able to. Uh, find talented people and not being uh, restricted geographically. Yeah, I think it's also really important what you what you said about. Um, you're right. A lot of people who haven't made that career transition have do exactly what you're saying. Like they make these mental schemas of uh, how things are going to be. Like, oh, there's not going to be any flexibility or. I'm going to be stressed out all the time because I'll have colleagues that are competitive and um, cutthroat or, you know, and then you go try something and it's not matching the this reality that you have and your fears that you built up yes. are worse, no? So I think it's really important what you're mentioning, you know, to go try it out. Um, and test these mental schemas that you have and not to exactly. have fear. And I think it's also really important 
these kinds of conversations because someone out there is going to see you and say, oh my goodness, I'm a psychology major too. And she was able to do it. That's great. You know, because I, I spoke to another person from another podcast and he told me, oh, I'm an engineer, but I've been working in the automotive industry. I just never thought I could learn to program, even though I've been interested in it, because I just thought there, you know, my scheme of what a programmer looks like is totally different. But then I meet you and you're telling me that other people have transitioned who are from all of these other areas. Wow, I'm going to give it a try as well. <laughs> Yeah, right. It's a matter of um, models, of examples. Like, who do you meet, and what is their story, and what is their background? And then, it's not even that much a matter of I don't have the skills because it's such a difficult profession, right? It's it's simply that it never occurred to you that you would be able to to do something like this, actually. If uh, my partner wasn't a developer, how would I come up with this idea, right? <laughs> Impossible, no, that's, it's like, I wouldn't think of becoming, uh, I don't know, a doctor or something, or even graphic designer, just like this. But with development, there are two factors that also pushed quite um this uh, whole thing of people being able to transition is the huge need uh, for developers, for IT specialists. Um, and this is now. In the future, it will be simply like, as they say, like reading, like driving a car. It will be a skill that is considered uh, super normal and common. So reflecting back on how you were able to transition, because you were able to do it without attending a boot camp or anything like that. Um, for some people who might be was, in the same place, huh? I was, I was going to say that I was cheating because I say that um, I'm self-taught uh, and I didn't attend a boot camp or uh, any other structured way of learning, let's say. But then again, I had my partner and he was available to help me and to um, explain stuff and work with me when I needed it. That's the misconception that I had at the very beginning. And in one of the interviews that I had with someone who did the boot camp with mm -hmm. me, mm -hmm. um, she was recalling how whenever there was assignments, I would go off on my own and do them on my own, you know, because from my training in academia, if you collaborate with people, that's cheating. You shouldn't plagiarize. You shouldn't cheat. You shouldn't copy from each other. Right. You, your work has to be original. You have to cite every single thing, you know, that you reference. Um, you know, coming from this mental model of, I have to do it on my own, otherwise I'm cheating, was so destructive. And she was, she didn't come from that background, but she would look at me and say like, what is she doing? She needs to collaborate. And by the end of the boot camp, I realized that you can't 
survive in this industry if you don't collaborate. And she was telling me, like, it's such a myth that you do it alone. It's such a myth that you learn alone. It's such a myth that you work alone because products, you know, uh, require teams of people and teams that collaborate well, that communicate well, that teach each other. So in a way, it's not cheating. <laughs> yeah, when I said cheating, it was mostly because of the concept of uh, being self-taught, which mm -hmm. exactly is what you're saying. It doesn't exist. You build up on resources or something that other people left there for you. So it's you cannot say, actually, that you're self-taught. So, yeah. But... I agree, it's so important. I had this misconception as well. I was very stereotypical in my understanding of what a development uh, and developer is. So, you know, banging on the keyboard for eight hours per day, that was my understanding, <laughs> which is not the case. Now I know this. And now... Um, I can understand, as you said, that building a product, it requires a team. And this means also that good part of your work consists in talking to other people, first to realize what the problem is, but also then to choose a solution and to see if this solution is working the way they expected and benefit the most. And also... Uh, talking to colleagues, to peers, to help you with the solution, to come out and to improve it, or just to come out with it. Um, collaboration is also important. And it was, but it was something that I learned more in my work than before that, to be honest. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, definitely in work, It's hard to learn it when you're taking tutorials or working on a project on your own. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, for a lot of people who are just starting out, that is a misconception that, you know, you're in a basement in a, <laughs> on yeah. your own. Um, yeah. So what was the most challenging part about making the career transition? The stress of the uncertainty about the future, if I will be able to find a job, really. It, uh, here in Spain, so I didn't know how I will be able, I didn't know so many things. I didn't know if I will be able to work remotely for a company based in UK, for instance, which is my current company. Uh, I thought that I will be looking for job here in Spain. And here in Spain, a typical offer for junior says that you need to have one to two years of experience for junior position, <laughs> which is ridiculous because if you have one to, if you have two years of experience, you're not junior. Uh, the way I understand, and I still believe that juniors should be people who either recently graduated if they have the um, computer science degree or any relevant uh, education or graduated bootcamp or people that have learned by their own and uh, have few projects in their portfolio but not um, um, actual uh, work experience. 
So it was stressful because I know that I can learn as much as I want and then I will have trouble uh, finding a job just because I don't have those two years in my CV. Uh, the backup plan was to acquire experience uh, working with my partner and helping him and then being able to show, okay, this is this project, it's a real one for a client and um, uh, I did this and this and this part with this technology, so having portfolio this way. But it's not the case. Again, I feel privileged enough. That's why I don't want to give advice to people because everyone's situation is different. So what would you do if you don't have someone close to you that is a developer and can help you so much, right? Mm -hmm. So what, what would you do? I would look for meetups. Exactly. So what you did in Barcelona, uh, starting this um, code bar chapter for here, for our city, and building slowly this community of people that are able to support people who want to transition, that is priceless. It's code bar community can help you on every level and can support you with everything I believe during this um, this transition, be it solving technical problems like you get stuck, um, you cannot uh, debug your code for a second day or third day in a row maybe and you seem that you cannot find the solution, well, post in Slack and there will be people answering your questions and helping you and checking your code, running your code on their machine so they are able to help you debugging. This is amazing. And then if you want to find a job, there will be someone that you can reach out and ask how it is if they have um, if they are hiring in their company. Another issue, if you if you feel like you're not motivated enough, you can get motivation from people in this community. I mean, it's it's amazing that uh, you can rely whatever you you would need. You you have a good chance to find a person that will help you with it. Yeah, and for people who are listening, who are maybe not in Barcelona or in different cities. The good thing about the pandemic is that all uh, code bar events have gone online. Yes, yes, that's one of the um, yeah positive outcomes. <laughs> so, in those you were mentioning that those initial months were quite stressful, and I think for a lot of people in their first job, those first months are very very stressful because even if you have a partner who um, you know, can support you or a community that you can turn to. Um, and you've done some side projects and you've taken a lot of, uh, yeah, you've taken a lot of knowledge. It's still not quite enough. And you have to continue to scale up while at the same time you know, you're expected to contribute to the team. 
what did you do to improve? How did you, did you put in a lot of hours after work? Did you work on side projects? Uh, yeah, so I remember the first months. So how I started, um, it was a friend of mine who suggested that I should apply for a position open, uh, opening in their company. Uh, and she basically basically told me to to send send her my CV. I wasn't feeling ready for sure. I, I was still in the thinking that I need to accumulate some more projects and a real project experience before I apply because, of course, of the fear of getting rejected, but also because I wasn't feeling like I can actually contribute, right? So, but I sent the CV and I did the interview. Even doing the interview for me was like, okay, this is great. This is good experience. I will learn how the real process goes on. So let's continue. And they offered an internship position for one month. So again, it was like one next small step that I feel comfortable enough with. Let's do the internship and... Let's see how it goes after that. And for the first month, and then for uh, after that, I, I become um, like with a regular position. Um, I was really working like 10, 12 hours maybe. And by working, I mean staring at a bug and trying to figure out how to solve it right this is working i mean uh first when you when you join when you join uh they give you to fix bugs because this is a really nice way to have uh, a good idea of uh, the code base uh, to learn how it's structured and so on and do different do different stuff so I had a, to fix a lot of bugs, and it was this. So, so, sometimes I didn't have an idea. So to fix one small line of code, you needed to read code for hours sometimes, and it's crazy. So and there was also this pressure that you said that you feel that you have to contribute. I mean, you're, what I didn't know at the time that I didn't realize is that they know very well that because I'm junior, I'm, I, I will need time to learn um, both some things related to the technology, but also to, to the code base and to the system, because mm -hmm. this, this will be the case for every new joiner, regardless of their experience, right? But I, I, I was um, assuming that the, the point is for me to fix those bugs one after another, one after there were many, to be honest, quite a lot. So I was feeling this pressure to exactly to contribute as much as I can already from day one. And yeah, so this is why I had to dedicate many extra hours. And then at some point it just clicked and I was more relaxed, enjoying more and working in a more calm, calm way and more like um, not that crazy um, adrenaline 
uh, way of uh, just finish your task, finish your task way, which is the, um, the correct way to do things. So what would you do to skill up? Uh, because I think you that was great that you had a tangible, even though, you know, you were fixing bugs, it was a tangible way for you to focus your learning rather than, you know, um, building a side project from scratch. That's great. But when you have this little bug, you know, and then there's a little line of code that you have to fix, but then you realize, because it happened to me too, that, oh my goodness, in order to fix this little stupid thing, I have to learn about models, views, controllers, because it's a huge app and now we have this code base. And in order for me to change this line, I have to figure out how it works in the controller and how how is that impacting the model? And I don't really know about the MVC model that they're applying. So now I have to go and it takes an hour to read about this, you know? I think it happened to you similar, but is there a more efficient way to uh, skill up? I don't think so. Actually, I wasn't focused per se uh, on skilling up. I know that it, it will inevitably happen, right? Because there's nothing that compares to um, real work experience. Uh, so I knew that um, coming from mostly tutorials and exercises on platforms and doing small stuff uh, with HTML, CSS, and jQuery, the, the project that I was doing before that, uh, it will be huge amount of um, new things that I will need to learn in order to be able to to, to keep to keep up with my work. So I didn't focus on it. I was more like result oriented. I was focused. So so for me it was like if I mean if I finish my task, it means that I learned also something, right? Because I also because I haven't used this technology. Then we had the. Um, Code was written in AngularJS. Um, I had some good idea of React, but uh, not of Angular. So I had to do to learn this new technology as well. Also to keep learning about JavaScript. I still Google a lot of things about JavaScript. Um, so yeah, it, I assume that it will simply happen, and I should be more result oriented now. After some years, I'm more uh, intentional about how and what I should learn and keep um, yeah, screwing up. So are you more, uh, was it, you were more reactive, like you were more, thinking, okay, I have to solve this issue, so I have to learn about that, and now you're more proactive, or how do you see it? Yeah, so it's a good way to put it. I was exactly, I was reactive. So they give me something, I do whatever is needed to, and uh, as possible as I can to understand it. I assume that by doing it, I'm learning, which mm -hmm. is not, 
very correct though. I mean, this is why I don't remember some things because I was focused on uh, providing the solution, but not necessarily necessarily sorry taking something out, take away something for me, right? Because I decided that I don't have the time to apply a proper learning um, techniques, right? To be honest, I'm a pen and paper person, so I will literally even do that, even with code sometimes. I will be highlighting in a textbook things or finding resources to read something. Yes, right. So I didn't do this then. And this is why I believe that it kind of corrupted some of the learnings for me because I, being so result-oriented, I didn't um, keep it for myself. I didn't take uh, most of it. Now I'm very, very intentional and, yeah, I can say proactive. So um, do you know the technology radar that um, ThoughtWorks uh, prepares? So I made a technology radar for myself and um, as a visualization of uh, what I want to learn, how important it is to me, how much I already know and how how I advance basically. So it's um, the four sections are four fields. Uh, let's say front-end, back-end, DevOps, general computer science and algorithms. Then you have different levels uh, where you put uh, depending on um, what is your level. Let's say I'm good with JavaScript, so it will be closer to the center. I'm not good with algorithms, so it will be a bit in the outside circles. And then you have different colors for if you want to learn this because you need it badly in your day-to-day -day work or you want to learn because it sounds so cool and you want uh, it's out interesting or for whatever other reason and this is this is my plan now for learning and then my intention is to based on this radar to dedicate time and to set time apart ideally on everyday basis but at least once per week i usually have to be honest, Fridays, afternoons dedicated for learning. Fantastic that you've adapted this map to structure your learning, right? Yes. To see, okay, what are the areas that I'm not so strong in? What are the areas that I'm very strong in? What are the areas that I need for my day-to-day -day work? What are the areas that um, I, I want to learn just because I'm interested in it? And then how do you track it? How do you keep track of how that uh, radar or, because it's a circle, right? It's kind yes. of like a lopsided circle, how you're improving or expanding or contracting. Same with the original one, you can just uh, have different versions. So every uh, couple of months or something, if you have a, depending on what's your, go set uh, timeline um, you can simply redraw it but this is I I just love the visualization and I thought 
it would be a nice way to organize what I want and help me clarify what I need to do. Because I know what I need in my work, but mm-hmm. I also I'm interested in learning so many things and you lose focus, right? And then you it starts a bit of a vicious circle because you lose focus, you get frustrated, you see you don't see any uh, direct benefits of what you're learning, but it still like pushes you because it sounds cool, it sounds interesting, and it's something that you want to read and maybe try. And you don't have to choose one over another, you can combine um, both, but I, I believe you need to have it clear to be specific, to be explicit about it, what what and why you choose to learn. Because after all, you don't have that much free time and it's important to use it wisely. Wow, that's amazing. So uh, this visualization, if would it be possible to post it somewhere online so yeah, that we can okay. link to it? Yes. Different people learn in different ways and it's really important to understand because it is a field that you constantly have to keep learning um, to understand the way you learn. Are you more visual? Are you more hands-on? Are you more reading? Uh, And it's really important. People think that you have to do it in a certain way, but what you're pointing out is that you need to find the way that you best learn and adapt to this. and, And that's fantastic. It's very important to be honest. I mean, and I was thinking about it recently uh, because um, in our company we are transitioning from being a startup to becoming a bigger company. We doubled in size this year. We want to double once again next year, actually with this new one. Um, so there was the challenge on how you onboard people that you need proper resources already prepared so uh, new joiners um, have available and then if um, there is something that is a common knowledge for me I should put it in a document and make it accessible to everyone so they don't need to come to me each one of them and ask me or I don't the same way I don't have to go to someone and ask them and five other people, colleagues doing the same. And it was challenging because until now we didn't have so much documentation set up, but it's also made me think about exactly that we are are learning. When I joined until now, I learned so much, but I always wanted resources to read about Um, our system and more diagrams and more visual resources and now I see that the better is actually to combine so in some cases maybe it will be good to prepare some especially with applications and how they work well Mm -hmm. prepare a video about it Mm -hmm. and show it to people it will be way more natural than writing about it or um, um, if it's something like more code-related, okay, then it will be, of course, text and with the proper links and everything. But you you usually 
whatever your style is, most probably you will benefit of combining different resources because different resources will uh, serve different purposes and it will simply enrich your understanding and your knowledge about it. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, even when you're learning, um, you might, the same information, you might, you know, look at it from different angles. It might be a tutorial, it might be asking someone, it might be coding, you know, like a kata, it might be watching a video, it might be reading documentation, all of it. And then for you to kind of, you know, understand the concept. So, But as you said, it's a good point to know your style. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine that I didn't know? I mean, I kind of knew that I'm very um, academically trained in my way of learning, but then I again, had this expectation that because it's a new field, different field, and everyone is saying hands-on approach, hands-on approach. And while I still had this need to read and organize knowledge, and this is how I organize knowledge in my head by reading, I was feeling so bad at times because also I was feeling guilty uh, because I remember having to ask my um, supervisor multiple times the same question. So I asked him, he explains, uh, I do it. And in a few weeks or a few months, I have to solve the same problem and I don't remember how it was. So I go and ask him again. So partially this was because we didn't have documentation, but partially it was because um, I am not the person that we will learn from listening that much and I will benefit more from Yeah, so this is why it's important to know your your style. But yeah, that's a really good point about um, communication styles because uh, that comes up a lot. I was talking to Caroline, who mm-hmm. I also interviewed for the podcast, and she was talking, she gave a great presentation about um, communication styles at work. And it points to what you're saying. Maybe you're not someone who who maybe you're more visual and when and someone is trying to teach you in a hands-on way and it just doesn't work for you but there's miscommunication as to why you're not understanding the information whereas they should be asking maybe the way I'm teaching it or presenting it um, is not matching your learning style and we often overlook this but it's really really important I agree I wanted to switch gears now and ask you uh, about, you know, having made that career transition and having, you know, you took, you worked on some personal projects, you uh, worked on Free Code Camp and did yeah. a lot of the... Their curriculum projects, yes. Their curriculum, you worked with your partner, you... Um, Yeah, you had made some side projects, you worked on your CV, but at what point are you ready to start applying? Because I think a lot of people ask themselves that question and a lot of people never feel ready, but at what point do you think you're ready? Once again, I think my situation was a little bit different exactly because I didn't feel ready and it was Caroline who and you who are saying me, no, you you know enough to apply for junior, you know enough, you, you arrive already. 
but I wasn't feeling so. I think once uh, you have at least one project that you deployed somewhere, I think you're good to go applying because um, you, you lose nothing uh, by applying a bit sooner. Um, and you never know, maybe you will be able to negotiate the internship if not a permanent position right away or um, something like this, you at least uh, will start thinking and preparing yourself. Also, it's true that you learn, this is true also for experienced developers, that you learn a lot preparing for interviews. This is why also it's a good idea maybe for people to start exposing themselves a bit sooner, even if they don't feel necessarily like they are prepared. And so in my case, I wasn't applying. I was um, closed, home, and um, trying to learn to work and to improve and feeling a bit pity for myself and things like this. Like it was the, still the darker period of uh, the whole transitioning with us, the uncertainty and um, expectation and the stress. But because it happened to me, I I just, even, even not feeling fully prepared, I like throw everything I was able to in this because it was great opportunity and I knew it's a great opportunity. I missed I missed this part of applying on many places and not getting answers or getting rejected. So I didn't leave this, but I lived it in my head again. Once again, it was something that I was so afraid that it will happen and I will feel I will feel so miserable, right? Um, so in a way I, I feel it because it was my fear, but it didn't happen in reality. Thanks to uh, my friend that simply suggested this um, opening and the way it worked out for me, I, yeah, I was able to skip this part. For other people, really, um, start talking to people and applying. It, it, it's not you to decide if you're ready or not, to be honest. I mean, it, the industry needs, needs badly uh, talented developers, not necessarily developers with five, six, ten plus years of experience, but people who are tal talented, ready to grow, that people who are resilient, and if you do such a transition, you are, and motivated people. And I'm sure those are exactly the folks that are listening to your podcast. Wow. that's I love the way that you frame the job transition as, you know, it's a series of steps for you to learn. If you get rejected, good. You know, that was a that was a learning lesson. And even in the preparation, the way you looked at uh, your 
job interviews was even in the preparation, I'm learning. Even if I'm, you know, getting rejected, I learned how to apply. And then when you applied and they said, okay, internship, you said, even if it's just this internship, I'm still learning something. And just those little steps that if you take it as I'm learning something regardless of the outcome, and that's going to move me closer to where I want to get. That's really an important way to see the process, I think. I think, yeah, I think what it happened because I started like with minimal ego and expectation. I mean, I had my expectation toward myself uh, from the learning process, but then I didn't have any expectation from the company. I just wanted to be paid at that point and to get experience and keep learning. I, it turns out I got much more, uh, not only being able to learn and to grow and get my salary, but um, really nice environment to work and people that I become friends with. And this is amazing. Uh, but then at the time, I didn't have much much more expectation that the very, very basic from a job, right? So this helped a lot. And this is not what more experienced people usually can offer because it happens a lot that more experienced people bring also more developed ego mm -hmm. and maybe sometimes even um, how to put it like attitude that doesn't necessarily help mm -hmm. with uh, working in a team or working um, under certain circumstances. Um, to put it otherwise, maybe they are less flexible. Mm -hmm. So this is why I think company can benefit. Companies can benefit a lot from folks that have different background, did this transition, survived, mm -hmm. learned, and grew out of it. There is a weird gap because on the one hand, you have so many skilled people and motivated and enthusiastic people that want to find their new job. And believe me, once they get uh, they they have the opportunity and get started, they will really quickly learn and advance and become skilled and experienced. But some so often they don't get this opportunity or it, it takes longer for company to um, give it to them. And then on the other hand, um, because now I'm on the other side, I'm a person who interviews quite a lot, quite mm -hmm. often at work. On the other hand, you have the companies that need badly more um, developers, more people to add to their team, and they can find a good match. So why? I mean, why on one side you have the people that are ready to start contributing? On the other side, you have the companies that they need them. But still you have those people that cannot find job and those companies that cannot find a proper match for their teams. What do you so, think can be done? What could be done to uh, not only bridge that gap, but also mm -hmm. hire more women and more diverse developers? Higher, more, um, going for diversity now, it's like, it's a bit like with um, um, 
ecological awareness and stuff. So it's a buzzword and mm -hmm. company commit companies commit to it. Then it depends a lot from company to company what stands behind this commitment, right? Even unfortunately, not even, but actually the bigger you are, the difficult, the harder it is to be real when you talk about diversity and belonging mm -hmm. and those kinds of responsibilities. Uh, I think, unfortunately, Google proved recently that they they had it only on words, but mm. they don't really care about um, uh, real change. So it depends a lot on the company, but it's a trend at least, right? Uh, and it, we are getting there. What can be done? Many things on many levels. One very simple thing, simply hire those people. If they're underrepresented, you have those candidates, simply hire them. I mean, uh, if you don't have uh, candidates, that many candidates, uh, there is very often the excuse of the pipeline that simply it's not that so many people that graduate or are available um with the proper skill set in the US, in the industry what you can do is uh make programs for internship and this way um train them yourself and mm -hmm. this way you have if you have your internal program you can hire basically people with zero experience or even zero technical well, not zero, I mean, but like completely initial level technical skills. But if they have the proper attitude plus uh, the proper, like the good qualities of knowing how to learn, good communication skills, good like those meta skills, even they will they will advance quickly, and you have uh, well trained people. Mm -hmm and loyal people as well. This is a great benefit for companies. Other things that can be done, taking care of people once they are like in your company, not simply um, advertise yourself like um, diversity committed company, but also making sure that those people stay because there is also some um, worrying statistics about women that made it, make it, uh, get a job and are kind of a, accomplished in, in, in their career, but they, for some reason, they decide to leave and they do it more frequently than, than men, of course. I mean, why? Because the environment is hostile towards them for, mm -hmm. for some reason. So it's important once you have those people to take care and to make sure they they belong. So it's not only about diversity, it's also about um, belonging. Yeah, those are amazing points. I, I loved how you phrased it. Uh, it's about belonging and also, so it's hiring people and then making sure that they belong and they, they're comfortable enough to stay. Um, I love that. I'm going to use phrase it that way from now on because that's precisely what uh, I wanted the mission of this podcast to be. 
you know, how do we get more people to join? What are the skills? Uh, what do they need? What tools can we give people? But then once you're there, how can we get people to stay? People will stay if they feel well. Mm -hmm. And if they feel comfortable, if they feel appreciated. This is why you don't need only to feel some um, objectives like hiring that many people of with that background or with that, you know, these um, parameters, let's say, I don't know. You need the right culture in mm -hmm. the company. And this culture has to be intended. It, it doesn't happen like naturally. You have to work on it. Yeah, that's and it, this means this means to work on it as it is um business function of the company, right? Mm -hmm. This means to be intentional, to to set up the correct processes, to uh, loop and iterate constantly and assess constantly the way you would do for your product. You should do the same for your culture in a company. Well, that's great advice. So I wanted to ask you one last question before we get to a rapid fire, you know, like some fun questions. Um, mm -hmm. My last question is, if you could start all over again, what would you do differently? Almost nothing. I would try to feel differently about this decision, to not feel that much as a, that I felt at something. Uh, seeing now how much I learned and grew out of, out of it, I definitely see it as something way more positive than it was the way I was seeing it at first, right? So at first I was seeing like something that I'm forced to do and I have to do more like in order to survive. But um, it, it was such an important change. Yeah. Perfect. So we'll start uh, some rapid fire questions now. Let's, let's do it. Right. What current facts about your life would most impress your five-year-old self? Well, that I work for the mining industry. Yeah, the classical one. I would never expect it. This. <laughs> so this is... You know. Uh, the last question, one of your goals is to have a tiny house one yes. day. What do you love about tiny houses? Not only to have, Amalia, the, have I mentioned, I want to become a tiny house builder. So a uh, good point about tiny houses is that uh, you can build your own and uh, people do this all the time. I've watched so many videos. I love the concept of tiny house. I love the concept of um, downsize and minimalize. Not necessarily objects that you own, but like the space that you need. Why? Because when you have limited internal, like indoor space, you spend more time out outdoors. And this is something that I love. And also I simply like the innovative people become when they have to work with limited resources, which is space. So 
there are also like the classical benefit of it, like being able to travel. But even if you have it in one place, um, it's still really, I don't know, it's super attractive to me, the whole idea about it. Amazing. Well, Irina, I wanted to end by saying thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh. I know that I wanted to acknowledge you because these three years have not been easy. I know that the career change, um, as you mentioned, you know, you started in a dark place where you didn't see a perspective of how uh, you were jobless and you didn't know how that was going to change. And I just want to acknowledge you for all of your hard work. I know that, you know, thanks to your partner, um, but also a lot of the hard work that you put in, a lot of the mental and internal work that you've made on yourself to change your life around. Um, I think that is so inspiring and it's going to help a lot of people who are maybe in the situation as well. I know just even by watching you, um, seeing, you know, how you did start off in that dark place and now seeing you with this glorious sun behind you. Um, you are in such a different place. It's light and it's wonderful. And I want to acknowledge you also that throughout this whole process of um, difficulties for you, you also found the time and energy and will to help others, you know, through all your work at Code Bar. I know you and Svetan have touched so many lives um, and it's just a testament to who you are that while you are coming up, you also pull others and help others with you. So thank you. That's, that's incredible that you've done that. And yeah. Well, yeah. You're lovely. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for, for Code Bar. As I said, what you did with starting this chapter here in Barcelona, it had it is you that and um, that started it. So allowed so many other people to join and to uh, benefit or help other people, and this is amazing. So I'm. I will be always grat grateful um, that I met you and that I was part of God Bar. Um, it, it, it is something very important and very dear to me. Thank you so much about being supportive during all this period because I, I, I think you were with me from almost the very beginning. And lastly, Thank you for this um, exciting conversation that we just had. It was really exciting for me, really. <laughs> so thanks. I loved that I was able to share some of my thoughts. I hope it's, well, maybe not, I don't know if it's inspiring, but I really need, think that we need, like, see an example uh, and what can be something that you haven't imagined but why not be something that will work for you as well so in this sense it's great to share experience